This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.com for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House USA, the place where you get the chance to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders in America. My name is Nick Hoadley and I'm the CEO of Insurance Search. We specialize in helping insurance businesses grow and multiply their growth by attracting, recruiting and retaining the highest performing insurance professionals in the country. Each week in the Coffee House, we interview leading insurance business leaders and discover how they achieve their success, learn what advice they have for other aspiring insurance business leaders, and we discover what makes their business an attractive proposition for high-performing talent. Today, I'm joined by Amy Friedrich, who is the president of US Insurance Solutions at Principal Financial Group. Amy joins me on the line from West Des Moines, Iowa today, and it's a pleasure to have her on the show. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks so much, Nick, for having me on. Amy, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Really looking forward to hearing more about what's going on there at Principal and uh, some of your thoughts on the insurance market. Before we get to that, though, would you mind sharing with our listeners a bit more about your personal background your career journey and what led to you joining and eventually being the, the president at, at Principal then? Sure. Again, Nick, thanks for the opportunity. And um, I, the background that I have is probably, there's tons of different ways to get to different levels, but probably it didn't start with getting an undergraduate degree in um, mass communication and philosophy and religion. So so that's where I started in terms of a double major. So what I'm going to say is I'm, I'm a student of sort of the human experience. I'm, I'm a student of understanding how people talk to each other, how people storytell to each other, how people communicate with one another, and then how organizations sort of intersect. So my, my master's work was in organizational communication. So I'm a big believer that ultimately math is the easier part of the equation and humans are hard. And so I do think as an industry, we get turned around on that issue a little bit. But um, from a career journey, what I did is I started my work in a, a management consulting firm. And so that gave me exposure to a bunch of different industries. Um, I worked for what was Anderson Consulting and is now Accenture for uh, the first five, six years of my career. And that was that was great. I'm going to call it sort of business fundamentals training. It also got my uh, wings underneath me in terms of traveling a lot to do my job. So what I had decided at that point was I really wanted to settle down and work for one of the companies rather than just kind of consulting um, and telling them what I thought were good ideas to do. And so the, the company I settled with uh, nearly 21 years ago now was Principal Financial Group. And so that is headquartered in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, we are a global financial services company, we have our history deeply into uh, the insurance businesses, both the group insurance business and the individual insurance businesses, and then are known as retirement and asset managers as well. And so my career was really kind of taking increasing sets of responsibility and kind of leading with sort of a human first philosophy. So lots of strategy planning work, lots of uh, learning the business, but ultimately 
kind of running a, a PL area that has as its heart helping protect humans. So that's that's my story, Nick. Thank you, Amy. Do you speak to CEOs, a lot of C-suites, maybe even star founders of InsureTechs who have been down that management consulting route previously? And, you know, it's a, such a great learning ground to then propel your, your own career from. Did you work with a lot of insurance companies in that time or were you working in, in other sectors? So I, I worked in a bunch of different sectors. So I worked in oil and gas. I worked in telecom. But the last three or four years, I really settled into um, the insurance industry. Now, my background was more property casualty. So I was doing more management consulting around firms that primarily did property casualty. I ended up at principal who didn't have a big property casualty footprint, but who did have a big insurance footprint. So what I found was when you understand the general rhythms of the business around protection and insurance, it kind of can imply can apply to whatever insurance practice you're doing. But I ended up doing work for what I would consider sort of some marquee names in the industry broadly in things like American Family Insurance, Allstate. That's where I sort of cut my teeth in understanding what, you know, really, what really fine, reputable companies do in the marketplace. And that was, again, when I was back in my 20s, I was just, you know, much younger than I am now. Sounds like a great foundation and a great opportunity as well. Amy, as we are in the insurance coffee house today, it's uh, well, it's actually quite late in the afternoon over here in the UK now. But what's the go-to coffee of choice you have in the morning to start your day? Black coffee. You can add some creamer to it if you want to, but you give me a high quality bean that you've usually, I'd like a pour over if I can get yeah, it. Yeah, um, yeah. But I am, I was raised in a household where my dad drank probably 10 cups of coffee a day. He was a farmer. He was always coming in and doing a little check-in. He'd have yeah. a cup of coffee. I'm still one of those that will drink coffee up till eight o'clock at night. Absolutely. Um, so, so I do not have to fake my enthusiasm for <laughs> uh, coffee. No faking going on here. No, 100%. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I'm certainly a black coffee drinking. It's just going to get you going for the day. And yeah, some people don't like drinking coffee after 11 a.m. in the morning because it keeps them up at night. But yeah, I think you just got to drink through that. So. I, exactly. I, I just would tell them they need to keep practicing. Yeah, exactly. Keep That's a them problem, not a coffee problem. No. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Amy. If I could start off, though, first of all, asking you about, about your background and about your career journey. How did you break into your first C-suite position? And how did you find that transition from your previous role, which may have been more sort of client facing or may have been more internal facing? Well, how did you find that? I think the the key for me in terms of breaking into that was I had someone who had faith in me. I didn't necessarily have a background that was like, this person should lead actuaries. This person should lead the pricing function. This person should lead all the technical functions of the insurance business. But I had um, a leader and a mentor at the time who had confidence in me. And she's actually now the CFO of, of principal. And so I broke into my first position largely because she advocated for me and then came to me and said, you just do this. You're perfectly capable of doing this. You, I have confidence in you. And then it just sort of became the truth. So I broke into it because I had, I had people around me who had a lot of belief that I could do it. I, I know I should probably tell a bootstraps. I was confident I could do it. I had every faith in myself, but it was really the people around me who said, you can do this and we need 
We need people with your experiences in the industry. What would you say has been the biggest achievement to date in your leadership career? Proving that you can lead with human experiences and you can fight commoditization in the industry by picking the right markets at the right times. And you can you can grow in an industry that people say is stagnant. Again, if you focus on the, the customer experience and if you focus on picking the right marketplace. So my biggest achievement is growing in a space that people told me was stagnant. And in terms of your own philosophy, your own motivations, really, you know, when you do hear those people, those naysayers, how do you intrinsically react? How do you get past that? Is there any sort of self-doubt with saying those people might be right? Or do you just try and block that out? How do you go about that? So I, I don't block all of it out. I'm not one of those that says I just go back and I use internal grit and I, you know, just work harder. That's not really how I'm wired. I'm more, I more look externally. So I'm more like, wait a minute, there's still 40% of small employers who need help with this and no one's helping them. So I cannot believe we can't get creative enough. We can't get human enough. We can't get, you know, economically viable enough that we can't make it available to more people. So I go back to, there's a market need. Someone someday is going to fill it. Why on earth could it not be me or us doing that? So that's where I get my, my motivation tends to be more externally focused than I'm just going to show everybody that we can do this. And again, it makes for better storytelling sometime where it's like this grit, I'm just going to show everybody we can do it. But that's not really what motivates me. What motivates me is, there's a market need. No one's out there. We can meet it. Yeah. When there's that opportunity there, you know, why can't, why can't we do it? Why can't you do it? No, I'm looking at reasons why it can't happen. I'm going to say important, but has there ever been a time in your career where you've been maybe overlooked for a, a promotion or a job opportunity hasn't gone your way? How do you go about dealing with that? So I, don't, I guess I don't look at it that way. There probably have been times that I sat in a role longer than I thought I wanted to. And my thought was, you know, kind of my self-talk at that point was, Amy, what have you done to create more followership? What have you done to improve business results so that people understand that it's clear that if Amy personally got more responsibility, we just have more success as a company. And so that's what I feel like the job is. So if I got overlooked or passed over, I really usually just came back to me and said, what do I need to do differently? What do I need to um, perform more of? What's a leadership issue for me? What's a followership issue for me? What's a, a not understanding the marketplace issue for me? So yeah, if I've ever been overlooked, I, I didn't take it personally. And then I just recommitted to contributing a bigger set of results. And it, that tended to work out fine for me. Yeah, don't take it too personally. If I can move things forward now to the present day with principle, how are you adopting technology or using digital transformation to really meet the needs of your customers? So I think a lot of people talk customer experience and a lot of people talk, um, you know, looking at everything holistically. And I, I do think that's still mm, a little bit underplayed in the industry. So, so when I look at where the true innovations are happening, they're usually happening at the beginning of the process towards acquiring new business, or they're happening right at the end of the process with claims management. So what I would say is that middle part of the process, which is 
if someone needs to change a policy, if a life condition has changed, if they have a different need or you're doing an employer-based policy and they need to do an amendment, or frankly, we just need to make sure billing is really easy, easy and well understood. Those middle processes is where we've been applying more digital technology and understanding of the customer journey and the customer experience. So I think it's kind of in in touch with the fad to go after the beginning, kind of acquisition, underwriting, all those things. And it's in touch with it to go after claims. I would say there's much less attention to the to the middle. And I think about 75% of the experience is built in that middle. So we're putting digital technologies in place to try to pick up on signs and technologies of people who are having small administrative issues, billing-based issues, lack of understanding issues about what the policy can do for them. And that is proving out to be differentiating. Rather than just purely focusing on that initial purchase or when it comes around to renewal or a claim, actually helping them through that whole insurance cycle. Administrative and servicing doesn't tend Mm -hmm. to sit at the core of the leadership tables at Mm -hmm. most insurance Mm -hmm. companies. And what we've asked is the people from admin and servicing to have a seat at the table that gets the highest priority. Yeah. Looking ahead now, what, what do you say, what do you think of the major challenges ahead for insurance executives? Clearly, hopefully we are through the worst of the pandemic at the moment. You know, there are companies who have got people working from home all across the country, having hybrid staffing working practices as well. What do you think are the, the major challenges ahead as we as we come through the pandemic? I think the biggest challenges are not go, to not go back to what everything we used to do. When people talk about, let's go back to normal, I'm like, ah, let's not go back to normal. Because I think normal for the insurance industry were things like, what's your next product? What's your next innovation that's going to be you know, a product feature? How are you going to just grow your distribution? And I think in the end, what we've learned through the pandemic are the right questions are probably, how do people feel through the journey? How do people, how are people reacting to change? How do people understand um, how leadership can look differently when it's done with a complement of, you know, hybrid kind of virtual and in-person? I think historically we've let sort of in-person charisma, in-person sort of cult of personality. We've made a lot of decisions on how we build the insurance industry on that. And I think what we should have learned if we let ourselves learn it is that there are a lot of quieter voices in the room who have a ton of stuff to contribute. There's people who interact differently, even are maybe, you know, neurodiverse that can add really interesting thoughts that putting some sort of a hybrid or a virtual lens on things has let us have them make a contribution differently. And I think we've probably learned more products and more distribution is not going to get us out of certain cycles. We need to be creative about the human experience and we need to release our own internal talent to contribute differently. So I hope that's what we learn at the end of this. I think that's such a great point. I think intrinsically, all of us slightly look back towards that time pre-pandemic, what life was like as almost a goal of where we want to get to in the future. But I think you're so right that especially in through business, we want to get to where we are now and improve on that and keep improving rather than looking back. I think you make a fantastic point there. That's really Really interesting, actually. Yep. I find myself having to struggle to go back to the way things were because there was an intrinsic comfort in that. Mm -hmm. But man, if we ignore two years worth of learnings, 
then that's shame on us. Absolutely, absolutely. Brings us nicely onto the espresso round now where the questions are short, sharp and straight to the point. Yeah, I know you like your strong black coffee there, Amy. Are you ready for the espresso round? I'm ready. Hit me. Awesome. Let's, Let's do it. The espresso round. Amy, what are the characteristics about principal insurance that make it such a great place to work at? It's inclusive. It's innovative. It's diverse where it matters. I would say a ton of insurance companies don't have the type of C-suite diversity that principal has, and we lean into that, and we're better because of it. And that leads me nicely onto my next question is about the the opportunities there for high-performing professionals to develop their careers. Is it really that opportunity there, that diversity, management, and leadership, which, which means that that's available for all? Yeah, it should be available for all. I would say what we do is we give role models at all levels in the organization that show you that doing it one way isn't the only way to make a contribution. If we are not rewarding things like curiosity and rewarding um, some of the quietest voices in the room, then we're not meeting my expectations. So that's what you should expect to, to find at a company like that. When you're looking for people to join your organization, or perhaps you've got an area that you're looking to grow in and you're bringing in executives from externally, what are the behaviors, what are the characteristics that you demand when you recruit people into the business? Curious, open-minded, willing to adopt new methods of doing things. This is an industry that needs to change. And so we've got to have executives who are open to that. Amy, that's incredible because that's that's very much the mantra that I hear when I interview insure tech leaders, startups, technology companies, very rarely purely on the insurance side of things. It's very interesting. We're, I, I think there's rewards to differentiating more yeah. than we have in the past. And I think there are some companies that are going to set themselves up to get those rewards. What would you say are the largest challenges or the biggest frustrations when it comes to recruiting talent? It's not a, we can't find, can't find enough sort of diverse thought processes. And I, I don't think it's because it's not out there. I think mm-hmm. it's because our historical ways of going to the marketplace mm-hmm. and, and talking about insurance is just ugh, not appealing. It's mm-hmm. not appealing enough. So when I think about the frustrations I have, it's when I explain to people that I'm in the insurance or financial services industry, they're kind of like, oh, that's a little, is that a little slick or something? I'm like, no, it doesn't have to be. It's helpful. We keep people out of poverty. We do things in terms of protecting, you know, income and other things that change the world. And so I think um, my frustrations are that the ways that insurance can truly be uh, something that's life-changing are not as well understood. And I would argue it's because historically we just haven't been, we've been mathematicians more than storytellers and I want us to become storytellers. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've all got a uh, responsibility within the industry to talk up insurance, to talk up risk, to educate people about the opportunities in this sector. There's so many people who join midway through their career or halfway through their career and they think, wow, this is an incredible industry that I knew nothing about before. And it's it's fantastic. You know, it's, it's truly a meritocratic industry and you can go as far as you can and you can travel, like I said earlier, about some of those consulting days, there's opportunity to travel and, and play a big part in you know how the world functions. I also think going back onto your sort of diversity of thought point of view, I think there's a responsibility as well from those executive search firms or those recruitment firms as well. Try and broaden that job spec, that job description as 
as much as possible. I think sometimes um, businesses can get very focused, right? We want this person from this background who's been doing this job this number of years. But actually saying, actually, but what happens if someone was from slightly outside the industry but might have a different thought on how that could work? You know, customer service, how that, you know, bringing people in from other customer-centric industries really broaden that diversity of thought and, and way of doing things. So, yeah, I think that's really, really important. In, in terms of recruiting there, I mean, obviously being based in West Des Moines, do you find a geographic can be a challenge at all? Or do you do you recruit people from across the US? So here's a, here's what I find. We recruit people from, I would say we recruit people actually globally. So, but we definitely recruit people from across the US. And what we run into sometimes is I've established you know, on the East Coast or West Coast, and I don't want to leave at this point right now. That's mm. totally understandable. We also know when you're in the middle of the U.S., you don't really have a mountain or an ocean that's super close. So there's going to be things that you have to create on the experience side. What I find is that people who want sort of a, a great community to live in, an employer who is intrinsically a huge part of that community, both locally and globally, uh, someone who's had a commitment to things like ESG, who so has a commitment to, you know, ethics. And so that type of appeal is really there for the people when we go recruit. Now, we definitely have to, you know, make an argument about there's, you know, there's culture, <laughs> there's great restaurants, there's, there's things to do, there's the type of shopping that you want. And in the last 20 years, that's grown exponentially in a community like Des Moines. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a 50-50 proposition. It's sometimes it's a convincing and other times it's how soon can I get there? So we find all types of folks. Final question of the espresso round. If there are any insurance executives out there now or business leaders who are considering their next move, what would your advice be to them? Here's my advice. My advice would be go to companies that are committed to solving real problems for real people because those are those are the most fun. Uh, problems to solve. So if you're interviewing or screening, certainly, you know, location matters, you know, financial stability matters, all those things. But what really matters in the end is sort of that mission. Who are you helping and how are you helping them? And so ask lots of questions about if the companies that you're looking at know who they're helping, they know why they're helping them, and they know what opportunity exists. Great to have that motivation. That's what gets you out of bed at the end of the day in the morning. And when things get hard, that's what keeps you engaged. Yeah, you feel absolutely. Like you're doing matters. We've almost reached the end of our time today. I can't believe it. Time has flown very quickly. Before we go, do you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners? And how would anybody go about reaching out to you after the show? So my piece of closing advice is that storytelling matters. Who we talk to and how we talk to them matters so much. Yeah. So if you've got something on your plate that's, you know, spending some discretionary time working on something technical or spending some discretionary time working on something that feels like a human experience. I know where I put my discretionary time. We have plenty of technicians in the industry. We're light on people who understand the human experience. So that would be my last piece of advice. Um, you can always get in touch with principal at principal.com, principal, P-A-L. So not yeah, yeah, P-L-E-P-A-L.com. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, on, I'm on LinkedIn um, and I'm always happy to hear from people on LinkedIn. It's a, it's a great resource for me to both learn and continue to make connections. 
fantastic we'll be sure to put those details on our show notes so people can reach out to you after listening to the pod amy thank you so much for your time today i've really enjoyed hearing your thoughts about the insurance industry but also some of the great initiatives that you've got going on there at principal so thanks very much it's been a pleasure to have you on the show today and nick thanks for what you're doing for the industry it's important and helping people understand sort of the deeper side of the industry really matters so thanks nick absolutely it certainly does matter thank you amy and to all the insurance and insure tech leaders out there Wherever you're listening around the world today, we we thank you for joining us. I'm sure you would have got a lot of great advice and learnings from Amy today. If you did enjoy the show, please remember to download and subscribe to the pod to receive each one of our episodes directly into your app each week. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or I'd like to learn more about the competitive advantage that podcasts can give to your business when attracting talent, please reach out to us at insurance-search.com or drop us a message on LinkedIn. Until next time, I've been Nick Codley. This has been the Insurance Coffee House Global InsureTech Series. Take care. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Codley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.